service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. That was one of those uh, sitcom show opens you're famous <laughs> for. I'm putting a little little stank on my intro this morning, I'm trying to make myself sound happier than I actually am. I'm quite unhappy in reality. That's the Greatest Gen brand promise. Are you kidding? <laughs> um yeah we uh we've not been having a great couple of weeks adam (laughs) i had uh i don't even remember if i talked about this on on here but we had like all these power problems in our apartment last week and then carbon monoxide alarm went off where we had to evacuate the building for several hours and this morning we wake up to a text from our next door neighbor like hey do you guys drive a volvo that is not the message you want to get from anyone <laughs> and uh we uh we go out and look across the street where it was parked and it looks like a giant like picked up our car and just took a bite out of the back of it like it somebody somebody smashed it really really hard and did not stop or leave a note. They just drove off. It's crazy that the smasher would be in such good condition to drive away because you sent me a picture. You Jackie and Lori'd me a picture of the car. Yeah. And I was like, there's no way the other car is driving away from this. I'm, uh, yeah. Almost a sturdy to... machine. It is a sturdy machine. This, um, this is a, a collision where, like, I imagine every airbag in the other car went, <laughs> you know. I mean, unless the guy who hit you, and and again, I want to be clear, I'm not putting it out there that he did, but that one guy in the open-top Jeep that blasts music at uh, <laughs> at 12 volume, like, that's a that's a vehicle that would survive ramming into you. Like, that... Yeah. And that's also a vehicle that has nary an airbag. Right. Um, that's, a, that's a vehicle made for, uh, for, for the Chrome. Yeah. No, this was this was a a Lexus SUV that did it. Whoa, and you know? Yeah, because my my neighbor was like having a cup of coffee in her living room and heard it and she ran to the window to see what happened and she saw this car speed off. And wow. we have pe- there's pieces of it all over the all over the road where it happened too. There's car DNA everywhere. Yeah, like I I can I can tell you exactly what the paint color was because I have a piece of the- of its of its bumper. Wow. And uh yeah. So <laughs> when someone hit and ran me, the other car didn't even stop. They just kept going. Did your neighbor say whether or not this other this Lexus even stopped? I think that I think that this person was uh probably extremely drunk and just may may or may not have even noticed that they did that. Man Extremely drunk at 6.30 in the morning is a kind <laughs> of drunk. That is a look. I remember those days from college. It's been a challenging, uh, it's been a challenging seven to 10 days. And uh, I'm really sorry to hear that, man. Yeah, it was one of those mornings where I had to make like three million phone calls to, you know, yeah. set up the insurance claim, the, just all of the things. And... Uh, now there's no escape from quarantine. You have no vehicle. Yeah. 
my in-laws were kind enough to, you know, because they're not going anywhere. They uh, they were like, a, a reason to leave the house for <laughs> for anything oh, no. at all? So they came and uh, they they have two cars. So they gave us, they, they're they letting us borrow one of their cars. Um, hey, not that we sweet. like have that many places to drive. My, my wife does have to go to work uh, at least a couple of times a week still. You like so. to have the option. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the... We're we're very lucky that she does not have to get on a bus to do that. I, uh, we're very lucky that this accident didn't happen with uh, you two in the car. That's true. Yeah, I mean it's it's a bad enough accident that I think if we had been in the car, we would probably have neck things to deal with for a long time. As it is, you're the only one in that relationship with the neck thing. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's like it's it's weird. It's like. It's just a, hey, thank you for leaving me a giant hassle to wake up to. <laughs> you know, drunk person. It feels like over the last few weeks, there's been a lot of that shit going around. Uh, yeah. I know my wife had some car stuff lately. Uh, a lot of, I mean, even setting aside the bad news of the world, just the, the, uh, the local bad news of, right. of a Ben and Adam seems to be pretty frequent. And I think, I don't know if it was you who told me this or someone else, but like there just isn't a big, great big sample size of anything else going on in our yeah. lives. So right. anything that happens to us at, like lately is probably <laughs> going to be bad. Yeah. Because and there's no opportunity for good. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't. Yeah, that's. I was saying to. Uh, I was. I was texting with our buddy Chris Bowman this morning about it, and I was like, you know, just some. Some good news would be really fucking nice right now. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, you said it. The other side of it is, is like, this all is a drag, but I'm also, like, very fortunate to, like, you know, not have been hurt. And also, like, I'm, like, otherwise mostly fine, you know? It's been, it's been inconveniences, you know? And I know that that's, like, there's a lot of other people experiencing things that are way worse than inconveniences, so... Right. A ventilator is a little more than an inconvenience. Right. To a lot of people. Not to mention a lack of a ventilator. Right. Uh, one thing you said while we were texting earlier was, I was like, hey, do you want to just kick the show to another day? And you were like, no, this is actually, this is something good to look forward to. And I agree. Yeah. I always, I'm, I'm always buoyed by recording an episode of The Greatest Generation. So do you want to get into season six, episode 14 one little ship. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. This is a silly, silly episode, and we know right away what it is because Kira just can't stop laughing about what a silly episode this is going to be. Just because we are shrinking three people to the size of coffee cups. Smaller, actually. Right. The little D is out doing some big D kind of work, right? Like being tasked with scanning a subspace anomaly is not the way your typical DS9 episode opens. They even mention, like, isn't it nice that we can take a break during all this war to go yeah. do some science. It is nice, Adam. And uh, and it's a fun kind of science where Dax, Bashir, and O'Brien are going to get very wee. Significant shrinkage. This episode really asks a lot of you. 
maybe uh-huh. more than any other episode has <laughs> because <laughs> like the Starfleet really jumps to human trials on things fast right yeah they they know what's going to happen they're sending a runabout with human beings into this compression anomaly right they're ready for human testing <laughs> they didn't even do the rabbits thing they did they went yeah. from probe to runabout do you think that that's just the like 30 minutes before the episode starts like do we come in in media race like fi- like we're pretty sure that this is safe to send a runabout based on the success of our rhesus monkey probe <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But like part of part of what this episode is teaching you right up front is that it's fine. Everything's yeah. fine. Like this is the people on the runabout, not worried. Like they've planned no. for this. They saw the probe come back A-OK. You're sure we'll return to our normal size once we clear the anomaly? The probes did. You saw the data. That actually, like the more I think about it, must be what happened, right? Because like the, a lot of people think that the littleness element that is being brought to brought into play here is very funny and i feel like they must have some object lesson in that it's real taste it it's delicious it's just gotten smaller that's all i don't understand why this isn't painful or they don't feel it in any way like i think we've been told throughout star trek that there is a feel to being transported it's yeah it's tingly right but when the runabout goes through the uh the anomaly we don't get a sensation and i wish we did that would yeah that would be fun like uh i feel like i'm in a trash compactor captain (laughs) or like different parts of your body shrink at at different times like (laughs) bashir's dong is five feet long and like the circumference of a fire hydrant i'm just going to turn the other direction (laughs) i i shall choose to take the zero (laughs) <laughs> there, there appears to be no book big enough to cover this erection <laughs> Nog and Worf don't see what the what the funniness is but Cisco and Kira for sure do and I feel like Dax and Bashir do mm-hmm. but O'Brien is not he's not he's not keen on it no just not in love with the idea of being small. He doesn't want to be we. Almost less that he doesn't want to be we is that he's he's concerned about being unwe. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's feeling some ennui about <laughs> unwe. <laughs> you said it, buddy. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> we also get a uh, a bad a case of wharf poem blue balls at the beginning of this episode. With two episode titles back to back like that, how will we choose? <laughs> this might be oh, uh, this might be one of those two CD title situations where there's oh yeah speaker box the love below. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's it's like we both did solo albums, but we released them together. <laughs> one of those fat jewel case situations. Yeah. Love that. What are you smirking at? There is an ancient Klingon tradition that we've never heard of, of <laughs> writing a poem to commemorate an important historical event, which this apparently is. So Worf has been tasked with this, but uh, but we don't get to hear what he's got because they start to uh, head into the anomaly, right? Yeah, and all does not go according to plan because as soon as, like, here's the thing, like the, the runabout is tethered to the little D by way of a of a tractor beam and so the runabout heads in and as soon as it does bangers get dropped on the little d 
with the ferocity. Yeah, the little D uh, gets uh, surprise attacked by Jem'Hadar, and this goes really quickly. Like, this is a very <laughs> brutal fight scene. Cisco's like, we called time out. We were doing <laughs> science, guys. We were on a break! You can't attack us while we're doing science. Yeah. I wish that the Jem'Hadar had, like, shown any interest in the... Because, like... You know, like one of the cases that Worf is making is like, if we can understand this thing, maybe we can open subspace tunnels. We could do Borg style uh, right. jump, jump arounds. Like this would give us a huge tactical advantage over the Jem'Hadar. But the Jem'Hadar don't give a shit about that. They're barely aware of the subspace anomaly being proximate to where they finally got their W on the little D. I wonder if... When you're breaking this story, you ever play around with the idea of the Jem'Hadar tick being shrunk along with the runabout and then Little D oh, going, yeah. where'd they go? Like a mini dogfight in, yeah. the, in the engine room would be fun. That's what I'm saying. And then that sets up the Little D as a location for a space battle. Yeah. I mean, that probably adds a lot of complexity <laughs> yeah. to your special effects budget. So, Right. That probably does all sorts of fucked up things to the white on a on a molecular level, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like fucking concentrated, man. We're told a little later that oxygen is a little weird inside and outside the runabout. I wonder if like messing with the white, if you've been shrunk, could really fuck you up. Yeah. I mean, you got to be careful with that stuff. Yeah. So the end of our cold open is Jem'Hadar beaming onto the bridge taking over the little D. Surrender, or you will all be killed. It's nice to uh, remember how dangerous these guys are, that they can they can score a victory like this, this suddenly. I like episodes where ships get taken over, but can yeah. you remember one where the Federation takes over an enemy ship? It seems like the scoreboard is not in their favor Yeah. in these situations. Really their, it's not their way, you know? It, no, it's not. I mean... There is a time-honored tradition of having a Federation ship being taken over and then having little people be involved <laughs> in rescuing it. Right. I want to take the little D back from the Jem'Hadar. I want to do it now. How <laughs> Can you imagine the uh, the the McLaughlin group want. before this mission and Worf and Dax are in there and Worf is like, look, I want to be clear I haven't misunderstood anything. We're talking <laughs> about turning the crew, including my wife, little and not young, right? Little. <laughs> Specifically little, not young. Like, and I can't emphasize this enough. I've been through this Their situation. Age won't change. Am I correct in saying that? Yes? Not change at all? <laughs> Mr. Worf, like, shut the fuck up. O'Brien is like, my wife's never stopped having night terrors after she was made young. Little I can do. Young I can't do. <laughs> I can't risk going back any littler than I already am. <laughs> Bashir is like, he's got like a, a glass of indeterminate yellowish liquid. And he's like, I could see being little being quite nice. So we, we get our, our little D takeover in the theme. But after the theme, we're back on the Rubicon and the damage is severe. It's a fun kind of damage too, because it's a blinding kind of damage. They'd have to, they've had to lower their shutters, their storm yeah. shutters. With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? And their sensors are down and they can't communicate either. 
they've got a lot of work to be done and it's not just the ship like they're all banged up uh this is like repair and and damage assessment work that's being done by Dax and O'Brien while Bashir runs the like dermal regenerators over their faces and right. stuff so uh so i mean like non non trivial damage and uh and they like they need to see where they're going they need to start moving and uh, and all of that stuff uh, is going to need to be addressed by the chief. But, you know, he's the guy that you want in a situation like this. I feel like we're going to turn ourselves into conversational nuts talking about the little D and the Rubicon. <laughs> Not the so little, little anymore as the little the D. The littler R. Right. Back on the little D, the Jamadar is sort of taking stock of their big score. It's yeah. great that the the mood is is joyful. They're like we finally bagged our whale here. Like getting the defiant was a big big score. Yeah, and the, there's there's a couple of Jem'Hadar that we meet in this scene. The uh, the first is a younger Jem'Hadar who is kind of like giving an attaboy to the older second. It must be gratifying for an elder to end his career with a victory. And we come to understand that these dudes are uh, of two different stripes, in fact. One of them, the older, is a Gamma Quadrant Jem'Hadar. Uh, that's uh, Ixtana Rax. And the uh, the first is an Alpha Quadrant bred Jem'Hadar, Kudakatan. And he's like uh, Uruk-hai. He's like been purpose-bred for taking over the Alpha Quadrant in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you're if you're born in Quadrant, like you get patriated into that Quadrant. <laughs> you're saying he's an Alpha Quadrant anchor baby? Yeah, he is. <laughs> Jesus, Adam. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. Wow. So you're you're kind of like right-wing anti-immigration, anti-Jemhadar immigration activist. So what you're I saying? Mean, it it wasn't always called anchor baby with uh, with derision i mean i mean i grew up knowing a lot of military families with kids who were born in peru and stuff and, and they had dual citizenship mm. so that's fun that's see, fun see if you're a, if you're a, an, an alpha quadrant gem hadar you can pass through the wormhole without having to show your passport oh that's nice yeah i mean i'm wondering I think that the Dominion's idea is that the Alpha Quadrant and the G Quad are going to be under one jurisdiction pretty soon. So it'll be like state-to-state travel going through that that wormhole. This guy, uh, Kadekaton, is played by Scott Thompson Baker. Did you read about this guy? I did not. He won a $100,000 prize on Star Search. Whoa. Good job by him. He parlayed his Star Search win into, like, uh, soap opera acting credits. Wow. He's in a Coen Brothers film. He's in A Serious Man. Can you imagine? He really did He's also did it. in Mr. Deeds, the Adam Sandler comedy. How many people can claim an, <laughs> an Adam Sandler movie and a Coen Brothers movie? Not many. Scott Thompson can. <sighs> yeah. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> this guy, Ixtanarax and Kudakatan are at each other's throats almost immediately because Ixtanarax used to be the first, but now he's the second. He's been demoted because of his quadrant upbringing. 
yeah. by the Vorta. The Vorta think that if you were born in a quadrant that you're doing missions in, that makes you a better first. The Alpha Quadrant Jem'Hadar have been tailored for Alpha Quadrant combat, so they're getting preferential treatment. They've uh, they've made the Gammas into a bunch of real cucks. <laughs> Except like he's a he's a real squeaky wheel. This Extanarax, yeah. like he's not just eating the shit and and loving it. Yeah, he's got he's got a lot of experience. He's emboldened to second guess the Kudakatan guy too. He, yeah, he knows how to lead a group of Jamadar, and he's also extremely suspicious in a way that the first is not. Like he right. he's always counseling caution in a way that uh, that the first ignores. This always happens, like the veteran guy. Their advice is is ignored by the younger guy, and like this Extanarax has a thousand missions under his belt. This is gonna be his last one. Going out with a bang. It's part of what Kudakatan like hammers him with over and over again. Is like you're too old. You're gonna be retired anyway. Like shut the fuck up. <laughs> Mind your own business, please. What the fuck? Look at you. You're so old. <laughs> Too old. Really dangly Jem Hadar white straw out of him. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. That thing really starts to sag after a few <laughs> years. The plot that they discuss with the Vorta who's back on the tick is that they're going to get this thing moving and then go pull a surprise attack on a Federation Dilithium mining operation. Surprise, motherfucker. And to do that they need the warp engines back online. So they're gonna go get Cisco out of holding to discuss how that's going to happen. We cut down to the mess hall where Nog, Kira, Worf, and Sisko have been confined. Worf is stamping around complaining about how he's really bad at security. I should have foreseen this. And everybody's like, we know, Worf. We wouldn't be here if you were good at security. Nog is like shoved his head upside down in the replicator and it's just like pouring soft serve ice cream into his mouth. <laughs> We're not really working. Cool to see. <laughs> like it, it, it's like materializing like yeah. two inches above his open maw. <laughs> we should do more fun food effects on this show. Yeah, what the hell? These writers have no imagination. Yeah. They're just getting their uh, conversation steered toward the idea of retaking the Defiant when uh, the Jem'Hadar come come grab Cisco and take him up to the bridge. Cisco in this conversation mentioned something along the lines of, you know, I think we have a little time here because remember how much of, of a difficult situation it was to fly one of their ships? Like, yeah. they're, they're going to have just as difficult of a time flying this one. Yeah. So that gives us time to come up with a plan. On the littler R <laughs> they get the uh, the shutters open and uh, they are expecting I think to see space or nebula or something when they get the shutters open but what they see is just a wall of metal. 5,000 meters away and it still fills the screen. And this is uh, a very fun reveal shot where they discuss what this could be Bashir is like craning his neck to to read the symbols on this wall. And then we, we zoom out to show that the Rubicon is quite we indeed relative to the giant little D. This is a fun effect here. We really yeah. take a tour of the little D. 
in this moment. I was born with a tangled urethra. So when I came out, they did surgery on me, okay? They're scarring down there. Oldie is fucked up. It's got some serious dino damage on the on the hull when we see the, the wide shot. I like what they do with the score here. We get the single brass instrument of accidental compression. <laughs> we get that a few times in this episode, but it really starts here. Yeah. It's like a muted trumpet. Yeah. they do a little bit of math they're 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 like holding their fingers up like we're this tall or this tall and then the ship is this big and o'brien realizes that they're going to be able to fit in the bunghole of the ship the the exhaust pipe is just big enough to fly the compressed runabout through and uh that's they're like at this point they have no idea that the ship has been taken over so they're just they're just all about trying to get the attention of the crew. It would be really funny if at this moment they discover that they haven't shrunk, but the little D has gotten huge. <laughs> How would they know? Yeah. And they all just of- use it. They just leave it big for the rest of the series. Like <laughs> like when they fly into battle with fleets of Jem'Hadar and, and Cardassians, they just like cruise right through them. They like... They collect on the on the front of it like bugs on, on the front of your car when you drive cross country. Worf and Dax's relationship has become super hypersexual. Worf is like, <laughs> I did not know how much I wanted this. Now I can get up in them guts, literally. <laughs> Finally, Jadzia is enough for me. Your ankylosaur is bigger than I am, and I would have it no other way. A warrior's ankylosaur. We do get a bit of admin business here before we go into the little D, and that's the reason why the runabout has remained small is that they didn't leave the anomaly on the same path that they entered. So we've sort of put that goal out into the distance. Eventually, yeah. we're going to have to go back in that al- anomaly to undo this. We're going to have to re-embiggen. Right. And the theory is that they should still be able to do that at some point. But the first order of business is getting on board the ship. On the bridge of the little D, the first and the second are bickering about getting the ship going again. And um, this is in the context of Cisco being brought up and saying, like, yeah, I can get the ship going again, but I need a bunch of, a bunch of help. Like, this is a, a big job. And the second is like, no fucking way. Like, we don't trust you. We, we're going to have you fix the ship at gunpoint. And if there's a bunch of you, that makes that job much more complicated. But, uh, but the first, a trusting rube, uh, is like, uh, yeah, I mean, it does sound like a complicated job. So I'll let you have a few of your guys. He's really like nouveau Jem Hadar, right? <laughs> he just doesn't get how things work. Yeah, he's so gauche, the way he wields his power, his newly got firstness. Yeah, I mean, he was just born into it. Yeah. He never, he didn't have to earn it the way that Extanarax had to. <laughs> yeah. He was burnt, born with a white spoon in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love how Cisco has the upper hand basically as soon as the, the starting gun is shot. Like, he sees the angle, he sees the conflict between the first and the second, and he is stirring that up. There's a point in the episode where he says to 
Kira, I think, like if, in a game of wits, I, I'd bet on you every time, you know, between you and the Jemadar. He's not allowed to say that he would bet on himself, though, right? But I'd like to hear him say that. Yeah. I mean, it, at some point, it just becomes a little, you know, a little needle pegging how how big his ego is. But he knows that he, he can trick these fools whenever I, he wants. I really like when the Jem'Hadar throw that whole extermination into Cisco's face, the extermination inside that wormhole. You didn't bring me here to say thank you. That's dark stuff. They know his reputation. Kudakatan has got to be like, you know, in some ways I actually have to thank you because uh, I wouldn't be here <laughs> yeah. if, if you hadn't exterminated all those Jem'Hadar. Was your understanding in that episode where the unpleasant X-Men... We're doing all that math that the Federation did, in fact, concede a planet capable of manufacturing Ketracel White to the to the Dominion. Yeah, I thought so. So the Jem'Hadar are, are a going concern. It's not like a different brand of Ketracel that the Alpha Jem'Hadar use. Kudakatan. <laughs> I just have to say that... You might want to take a little bit of a different tack (laughs) post-genocide. I find when I am around other people to present kind of a sad older man vibe. You know, I I would never, I've never want anyone to know just how happy I am with my my performed genocide of of the Hushnak. I understand. I'm not trying to drag you here. It, it is very hard to know how to feel after a genocide because n- nothing can really prepare you for it. I want you to know if you need someone to talk to. Uh, I'm, I'm always here. I'm on Delta Rana 4. <laughs> I'm actually very easy to find. Honestly, if you just call any number on Delta Rana 4, I will pick up. <laughs> That's they, they all forward to me. <laughs> I mean, one of my regrets is that I really didn't think through the whole genocide thing to the extent that that I would be bugged constantly <laughs> by visitors to Delta Rana Four and people hailing Delta Rana Four. Most of my most of my day is taken up by just doing callbacks. You think about the number of times in a month you get a phone call from a random phone number and it's just somebody in Chinese or an IRS scam or somebody trying to sell you different long distance coverage. You multiply that by the population of Delta Run of Four. My my day is very busy just answering the phone. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is any amount of variety in those phone calls would be welcome on my end. Believe it or not, you've called Kevin Uxbridge. <laughs> I'm not available to take your call. I'll call you back if I have a free moment. Where could I be? Believe it or not, those snack are dead. <laughs> This show only has one joke, but I'm glad that it's it's that one. <laughs> it's great.
in the uh, elevator on the way down to the engine room where Cisco is going to begin his work, he starts to kind of dig into the wedge issue that is the fact that Ixtanarax has been made the second. And, you know, is is even trying to kind of instigate some dissent from Ixtanarax toward the founders. Like, what, like the founders think that the alpha Jem'Hadar are better for this job. What do you think? And that, that's some pretty controversial hot takes if you're a Jim Hadar, I want to say. Yeah. I mean, this is just peak Cisco here. Yeah. Like, stirring it up. Divide and conquer. I mean, it's unclear whether or not he sees the path out of this, but he knows one thing, and that is if he can sow enough discord between these two, it's going to be better for him. I thought it was pretty interesting that Xtanarax, like, gave up as much about how this works as he did. Like, it, you would think that, like, the Jem'Hadar would be a little bit sneaky about the fact that a new breed of Jem'Hadar has, you know, has been developed. Like, you'd think that that would be, like, a, a state secret, but he doesn't really, like, he doesn't seem to care about telling Cisco about how that was done. I kind of got a little short-timer vibe from Xtanarax. In that, what happens to him after retirement? Does he go and die? Is that why he is so quick to quip and cut into Kadakatan? Oh, he's got like senioritis? Yeah. Like I'm wondering what's what's motivating this and I wonder if it's that. Hmm. Because- Maybe so. I I don't think ordinarily Cisco would have an easy of a time pitting Xtanarax and Kadakatan against each other. Yeah. Up on the bridge, uh, the Vorda says his goodbyes. They're going to head off and, and do whatever mission they're going to do. Let's hope the Federation's dilithium miners will be as surprised to see us as a Defiance crew was. And the Jem'Hadar on the little D are going to continue the project of getting the warp engines online. And meanwhile, the littler R is going up the large intestine of the little D and trying to find a way into the ship when... Uh, when the plasma ducts start heating up and uh, they realize that they, they're going to need to find the trap door pretty quickly. It was taco night the day before on the little D. <laughs> Fortunately, there is a flap that they can, that they can get through and, uh, and it just goes right into the engine room. Jesus, Megan. I'm sorry. I want to apologize. I'm not even confident of which end that came out of. I love the sound of this door when the runabout goes through it. It's a very familiar piece of sound design, and I couldn't quite place it. It, it sounds like a like a toy, like a, like a oh. Castle Grayskull flap or something. <laughs> like it just sounded super familiar. I did not hear the sound, but we'll edit it in here. The runabout looks like a toy in this episode, yeah. and it, and if we're playing with toys, I think that sound is very at home. Like, we're driving the Lego car through the garage door, and that's the sound it's going to make. Right. I wondered, in breaking this story, if they considered having the runabout be incapable of using its weapons for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, like giving us some techno babble to the effect of, oh, the phasers wouldn't work in the, you know, like the the scale of the waves that they were, are putting out would have no effect on the molecules in normal space or something like that. Yeah. Because, I mean, maybe this is just that I wanted to see the the runabout fly around the ship and kill all the Jem'Hadar. <laughs> but uh, 
it does take a long time before they start licking shots at, at Jim Hadar. This was one of the minor beefs I had with the episode was related to that, Ben. It was it was like, why didn't they compound problems here? Yeah. They, they just go with the one problem, the, the shrinking of the runabout, and then that's it. I mean, outside of the takeover, the little D, I mean, like, right. I thought for sure they would stack another uh, another clock to it. Like in right. in 20 minutes, the runabout will embiggen and they can't right. control it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it will it will destroy the engine room of the ship right. as it does right. that. So it's a race to get in and a race to get out. That would have been fun. Once inside engineering, the runabout, for some reason, is undetected by the Jem'Hadar there. They get to do a nice little tour of of the yeah. deck, and they get to see all the damage. The shot through the window of the Jem'Hadar I thought was really funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, like... All of all of the scale, like get there are some genuine gags in this episode, and I thought that they were like pretty well written. Like the comedy is actually nicely done. How do you think they were lensed for stuff like that? Do you think they're just using standard lenses and and racked in, or are they going like you can't use a macro lens? That's too close. Right. I have no idea. Like what. The- the reason I ask is like portrait lenses are used in such a way that they make the face flattering, but this Jem Hadar is warped due to his size. Yeah, it's like a wide angle kind of kind yeah. of look, right? You know they're really thinking about how they're lensed here in order to make that effect because if you're just using a regular lens and you're getting up close to a person, right. I'm not sure if it looks the same. You want that that warp to the to the face. Aren't most Portrait lenses, like the the minimum focal distance is is pretty far. Yeah, Whereas like, like with a wider lens, you can get closer to your subject. That's why you want like an eighty five as your for, as your portrait lens, right? Right. Yeah, because it's like forcing you back away is also yeah yeah. So so maybe it's just that they like the POV has to be a certain distance from the guy's head, so they have to get a lens that's wide enough to get the whole <laughs> face in. That makes total sense. But in, yeah. if that's the case, then like I wonder how much work was happening behind the scenes to get this part right. Like how much experimentation. I would love to see the camera tests that they did to, yeah. to get these effects. Like that would yeah. be really fun. I wonder if those exist anywhere. Yeah. Is there a DVD special feature of this episode? Would you like to know more? This scene is the moment where O'Brien finally gets the sensors and comms back online. And yeah. it's with the sensors that they're able to just sort of like zoom in and enhance on on computer stations and see the status of the ship. Yeah, they sort of turn into a uh, a surveillance camera for a little while mm-hmm. and they they figure out that the four officers working in the engine room under the guns of the Jem'Hadar are in fact not really working on fixing the ship as such. Je- Kira is actually working on fixing the ship. She's taking her sweet time, but Nog Worf and Cisco are all taking part in a deception that is designed to uh, move all the command codes from the bridge down to the uh, to the control console and engineering so that Cisco can uh, seize the ship back from the Jem'Hadar. 
once they realize this, <laughs> O'Brien's like, you know, I mean, Nog's smart and everything, but he's not that smart. Like, <laughs> and now that I think about it, he kind of sucks at this task. So maybe we should go to the bridge and and sort of help him out. Yeah, uh, they're they kind of become the guardian angels of the crew because they're they're like working secretly behind the scenes to to help their goal. This is a fun moment because like the challenge of getting into the ship is one thing; it's another challenge to get into engineering. And now they have to make their way to the bridge. Yeah. This involves like kind of waiting for somebody to go through a door and then like slipping through it behind them, mm-hmm. hiding behind Jem'Hadar as they're walking through the hallways. It's very fun sneaking around and it's like a, a mechanic of sneaking around that you never get to see. Yeah, it's big fun. It's big, big fun. I think the effects in this episode are really great. Yeah, they look awesome. There's no moment that bumps you. I, I noticed like when they're when they're hiding up in the pipes when they're doing the surveillance camera stuff like mm-hmm. the lighting on the pipes is right which I don't I don't really know how you how you nail that were they holding like a little miniature ship up there or was it was it CG ship and then and they and they just did a really great job of digitally relighting it I don't know I don't know I couldn't guess but it's it's necessary to sell yeah. What's happening here? Like I think it I think it looks shitty without it. Yeah. So they get up to the bridge and they've got to do something with the encryption circuitry on the bridge, mm-hmm. right? And that and and that involves like getting inside a panel, which means they've got to beam a bubble of air into one of the components and then beam the chief in after the bubble of air and I'll have twenty minutes to get his work done. And this is like a pretty fast smash cut, right? Like we discover that that's how it's going to work. And then the chief tells the doctor, you're coming with me. And then they're beaming into the circuit. I mean, what's sad about this scene is that it begins that storyline with Miles O'Brien, where he's hooked on on huffing compressed air. Yeah. But like for the rest yeah. of the series. That's no good. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, a pretty light episode overall, but the, the the compressed air huffing beginning here is pretty dark. Yeah. 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 This does introduce a little bit of a, of a timeline here because we're told that you get 20 minutes. This compressed air will last 20 minutes and O'Brien's like, fine, I'll do the mission, but I'm not doing it without Bashir. Yeah. So they agree to it, and then they are beamed into a corn maze of isolinear chips, which is great. God, it was so fun! Like the 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 scaled up isolinear chips, they nail the. Mm-hmm. I love all the like you know all the plugs and things like the lo- labels on the little circuit components. Really well conceived, I thought. You just know that this stuff was thrown in a dumpster afterwards. That's the sad yeah. part. Like, there's no reusing a set like this. Right. When would they ever do that? Yeah. I thought immediately when I saw these guys beam in, what are they doing with phasers? I thought for sure they would run into an ant or something, like from uh, (laughs) Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. (laughs) Or a vole. Like, what if there was a a vole problem on the Little D? Chief O'Brien slips and falls into a bowl of Cheerios. Right, right. But they use the phasers for a, a a little tack weld. Yeah, I love that. One of the components. That was great. The suggestion of different factions of Jem'Hadar is, again, repeated during the Toast of the White that's distributed on the bridge. Uh, They never bring, like, a ton of the white, right? No. That crate is never full. 
they bring uh, they bring pints instead of fifths mm. to the party, and that's just kind of a little cheap. Selfish. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point, though. It always seems like they're in danger of running out. Yeah, which is maybe intentional. I don't know. It's called cocaine, and you don't want no part of this shit. Kudakatan is like, look, guys, we don't need to do the toast anymore. Like, we're our own people. <laughs> Let's just all agree, actions speak louder than words. And uh, we'll prove our loyalty to the founders by fucking up these federations. <laughs> There is also some discussion about what the plan B is among Cisco and the other officers helping him with the uh, with the trying to take the ship back over from engineering. And the plan B is self-destruct because Nag is having a real tough time cracking the security measures that would prevent this. Yeah, and, uh, he's locked he's out. Like, yeah, if I can't do this, Captain, like what what do I do? And, uh, <laughs> and Cisco's like, oh, yeah, we're going to blow up the ship. And you could just see it on Nog's face, like, fuck, why did I join the fucking Federation? This is <laughs> what was I thinking? I think this is well acted by Aaron Eisenberg, but I I wish there was a little bit more time for it because I think there's dimensionality here where where there could be like three dimensionality here. He's mm-hmm. clearly upset by his inability to make this happen. But there's yeah. also, I think, an element that we don't really get, which is, why am I even here? I'm not even supposed to be here today. I'm just a cadet, and I'm being forced into this situation that is impossible, and I'm the worst possible choice for this this element of it. And, there's, and yeah. that part isn't really pronounced. Right. Like, the guilt, I think, is what I'm going for, right? Right. The, the two-episode arc of this, I feel like that's a really powerful storyline to tell. Like, I, yeah. I got field promoted to Ensign. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to know how to do this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, at because... At this point in my career. By the time Plan B is unveiled as blow up the damn ship, Jean-Luc... No! Nug's emotions there are, like, defiant. Like, fuck yeah, we're going to take these guys down with us instead of, I couldn't do it. And I feel bad yeah. that we're going to die I'm because of me. I'm getting all of these guys killed because of me, yeah. Right. Um, they do, like, they have to hedge, right? Like, they build the automatic self-destruct into the way the engine is being repaired. Like, mm-hmm. they can't, they can't like, do the Riker and Picard standing over the engineering table setting self-destruct uh-huh. scene because they, the Jem'Hadar are there. So what they do is kind of rig the ship to blow once it passes warp one. And uh, and then they continue the ruse that they're repairing the the engine while while trying to trick the Jem'Hadar into thinking that everything's going great. Morn, 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 sweet morn, morn, morn. You near, buddy? Morn, stop. Have a time. I thought for a moment that it would have been fun to have the plan a little more speed, like. Like, <laughs> like once they go to warp, they can't ever come out of warp because once they oh. do, the D explodes. Like that would make the little D kind of an interesting bomb, right? Right. Like yeah. they drive the little D all the way back home. Bomb on Defiant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off in there. <laughs> I hate to use the word tourist, but it's not like I can hide it. He could have some strong feelings about the these matters. Shoot the hostage. What do you do? You're deeply nuts, you know that? In the circuit board, O'Brien and Bashir are starting to suffer from 
hypoxia because there's just not that much air. I wasn't sure if I missed something about why they couldn't beam a second bubble of air (laughs) into this room. They cut back to Dax and she's like, we're all out of compressed air. I'm over here walking on sunshine, guys. The chief loves compressed air and so do I. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but and I I thought uh, like like the chief knows how to do this at at human scale, but he's looking at everything from one centimeter high and yeah. is uh, is a little lost. And the doctor, I th- I thought it was cool that the doctor is like helping him through this from just a practical standpoint. But yeah. the doctor's like, despite being a super brain, doesn't actually know anything about engineering. So I I just thought that that was like well written that that like. Bashir is is a genius and is a genius and can like do hard math problems in his head on the fly, but is not doesn't know what like the five four six stroke delta isolinear chip does. And I really like that his solution to the problem is is very medical. Like he's got to fix O'Brien, and yeah. the way that he manages to do that is to get O'Brien in a place where he can reconcile the situation. Like, right, like close your eyes and, and do it from memory. Like, where is this relative to this other thing? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like something, it feels like good therapy, what what Bashir yeah. is doing. In your worst dreams, a duck flies off with your penis. So they manage to get this thing rewired. They do their little tack weld on the on the optronic circuit that they reconnect. And, uh, and we cut down to engineering and Nag is uh, very thrilled to discover that whatever he's done has... Uh, has in fact rewired the command codes to engineering. He's happy to take the credit for a thing he doesn't understand. I am good. Come with me. I think a lot of people early in their career have have had things like that happen. Yeah, I feel that. I see you, Nog. Yeah. For example, two people early in their podcasting career (laughs) don't know why they've achieved any success. I don't know how, but I released the command codes. This is a fun bit of business here because, like, there's the celebratory, like, the subdued celebration of a nod going, yes, I did it. And also the crew getting gathered together in order to be berated by Kadakatan. So the first and the second are down in engineering. And that's that news is transmitted to O'Brien and Bashir when they get back aboard the Rubicon by Dax. And so they realize that. The ship is about to go to warp pretty soon, and so they're going to need to start helping these dudes. And there's some debate, right? Like, like Extanarax is like, these guys were not on the up and up when they were doing these repairs. We need to, like, make sure that they did the repairs that they claim and make sure that this system isn't rigged to blow. And Kudakatan has not learned a thing in this experience, and is like, fuck that. Let's fucking get this thing going. <laughs> it's great. It's It's so hubristic. And totally yeah. in keeping with what we know about him. Kudakatan has the sheer fucking hubris to <laughs> get the ship going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but this is a problem because we're rigged to blow as soon as they go to warp. So uh, he's like about to walk off the uh, out of engineering when uh, he opens the door and in rushes the the little ship and we get a great firefight where it is the Rubicon shooting miniature photon torpedoes at Jem'Hadar while, you know, Worf is breaking necks, Nog is getting thrown over panels, like, just just a real fun Star Trek fight here. 
I mean, we famously don't do any research on this show, so I'm sure this information exists somewhere, but I wonder what the yield is on a torpedo, <laughs> you know, given like given the relative shrunkenness yeah. of a person, like like yeah. Like take the normal yield and shrink that down by the same ratio. I wonder how strong those are. I wonder because like, I mean, this is definitely something that has been dealt with in other sci-fi franchises like Mm -hmm. Ant-Man plays with this idea. It's like the the spaces between subatomic particles are being shrunk and that's how you're getting smaller. But that means you you have the same mass and the same force as you would at mm-hmm. your current size. Mm-hmm. And it would be really fun to see a Jem'Hadar get hit by a photon torpedo and just like, just fucking get turned into cat food. <laughs> <laughs> like there is never a moment before they fire torpedoes where, where Dax is like, hold on a second. I mean, if we shoot this thing. This mother's gonna blow big. Set the phasers to the lowest possible <laughs> yield. And I cannot stress this enough. It has to be the lowest. <laughs> And it's still just like punching hole through the the Jem'Hadar and the hull of the ship in the, in one shot. You know? After the episode, Dax is just haunted by what she's done. <laughs> <laughs> you got the thousand yard stare yeah. of somebody who can't unsee what they saw. Concurrently with this, uh, a Star Trek fight breaks out in engineering, and Worf breaks a guy's neck. Yeah, We're, we've still never seen anyone rip the hose out of the out of a Jem'Hadar's neck. God, it was I thought this right was going to be the Worf. scene where it happened. I thought so too. I, I thought for sure. Uh, maybe we'll get it someday. Yeah. Anyways, Extanorax uh, has a uh, a very ironical death scene where he uh, is explaining that the uh, that Kudakatan didn't have have to listen to anything Extanorax said because uh, obedience is. Uh, is victory and victory is dot dot dot. I love that it's basically a eh, what are you gonna do? <laughs> I mean Jem Hadars are gonna Jem Hadar. He's the scorpion that stung the frog on his way across the the river, right? That's exactly it. Yeah. You really want to do this here. Now okay, okay, let's do it. In do the it. aftermath of the, this fight, the runabout uh flies up to wharf so that Dax can uh can blow him a kiss through the window. Just <laughs> one of my favorite shots in the episode. Worf squints in there to make sure she's not a kid. <laughs> she looks full grown, but tiny. He's like, oh shit, I'm going to have to write that poem. Yeah. And the, uh, the button on the episode is, uh, is set in Quark's bar so that Odo and Quark can have parts in the episode. We are deprived of the normal sizification process. That is covered in a captain's log. And then, uh, and then Dax is uh, asking Worf to hear the poem. He's very sensitive about it. But it turns out Worf is just doing bits with the poem. And everybody in Quark's bar is doing bits because uh, Odo comes up to uh, O'Brien and Bashir and says that they look a little bit a little bit on the short side to him, and then Quark comes up and agrees, and they've got to rush off to to Six Bay. It is a real end of an A Team episode type of yeah. <laughs> type of tone here at the end. Real yeah. fun. I did I did like Worf starting to read. <clears throat> there once was a runabout from Nantucket. <laughs> 
Dax is like, I guess it is after hours, and we are in the bar. <laughs> did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah, I did. And I think the reason why is because we're told right up front how to watch it. Like, I think yeah. if Kira doesn't laugh in the face of this concept, I think the true extent to its silliness comes a little later than it should, and it might spoil the broth of this thing. Right. right? But by but by front-loading it with that laughter, we're sort of trained into being like, all right, this is cool and fun, whatever. <laughs> but as much as I did enjoy it, I think there was a... Like, I know this is a light episode, but there are opportunities not taken here to ratchet up the tension, the conflict, and the danger. And at no point right. were those choices ever made. So, I mean, maybe that was just in keeping with the whole vibe. Like, why why layer cake this thing when we can just keep it simple? So, yeah. I, I did like it, but, but it made me... This was a fun episode for us because I think you and I were taking those exits off of the story and exploring all the little areas uh, right. untaken. It's, a, it's such an interesting season because we started with that crazy long arc about the Dominion War and we have had bottle after bottle after bottle that have been pretty light. Like there have been like one or two heavy episodes since then, but we're mm-hmm. like we're like past the halfway point on the season now and and I'd say that on balance, season six is mostly jokey, fun episodes at this point, which I did not expect when we start when we started the season. No, me neither. Yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder how we're going to end here. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, well, uh, one thing I never wonder about is whether or not we have any priority one messages. Should we go check those out? Let's do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Hey, and we've got a couple of priority one messages here. The first one is from Morn, and it's to two captains. It goes like this. If my calculations are correct, you will receive this letter immediately after you saw Who Mourns for Morn? First, let me assure you that I am alive and well. I've been living silently these past four months in the year 2020. Lockdown sucks. So I set myself up as a blacksmith, and I've gotten quite adept at using my Morn hammer. I mean, is that a, is that a masturbation joke? Boy, yeah, I think, I think it is, Adam. I don't think Morn is uh, pounding rivets. I think he's pounding something else. Gotta tell you, my pounding rivet rate has gone way down since quarantine began. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Mine's yeah. probably gone, gone up fivefold. <laughs> we're, we're definitely dealing with this trauma differently. <laughs> ben, our second priority one message is from Honey Bear is to Buttercup, and the message goes like this. Sweet buttercup, there's no one I would rather spend quarantine with than you. Well, you hear me chuckle along with a couple of guys who brighten up the world. Best wishes to you and to all. Wow. Thanks, honey bear. Quarantine messages, man. That's what we're getting. I think that helps. I like that the P1s are coming in fast enough that uh, 
that Morn couldn't couldn't line it up perfectly to coincide with who mourns for Morn. I think, but that's on brand for Morn, right? To like to like miss it by right a little bit. Totally on brand. But yeah, I've, uh, I've, we we looked at this like one one week ago as of this recording, and we didn't have uh, many P ones scheduled, and it's really nice to see that. So if you'd like to schedule one, head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message and it helps us keep this thing going you might have heard us talk about squarespace before and you're thinking what do i need a website for i already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. 
The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. Tap in. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I don't know who this was, but it was the very first Jem'Hadar guy to start shooting inside engineering at the runabout. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of uh, shots getting licked in the atmosphere that look like very close to the warp core. It made me think of that scene in Hunt for Red October. Like, yeah, do not shoot <laughs> your firearm in here. Things in here don't react well to bullets. <laughs> I expected that kind of line of dialogue, too. But Jemadars yeah. don't care. They're fucking idiots. What about you, Ben? Mine is Nog for uh, the... Uh, the line "I am good" when the uh, when the uh, security lockouts get get fixed. Oh no! Um, yeah, just that just that little fist bump that was very funny to me. I laughed out loud. <laughs> I thought that the the performance of that of that line was really great. I mean, it's got to be like like I, I imagine you get a little protective of your character when you're an actor, and to like really sell a line that makes your character look like a fucking fool. Has got to feel a little bit like I, I bet. This is what I think about I, with Rom all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, but Rom is like asked to do that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Nog less so. Nog yeah. is a much more sincere character in a lot of ways. And yeah, I just, I, I, I thought that that was really funny. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good too. Good ones. Do you want to see what we've got next week on The Greatest Generation? What do we got coming up? Next. Episode is season six, episode 15, Honor Among Thieves. An undercover operation turns personal for O'Brien when he befriends his criminal contact. Are we we sure we're talking about O'Brien here? O'Brien has (laughs) criminal contacts? Apparently so. Is he getting like bootleg Viagra? I feel like this is an episode where O'Brien is wearing a lot of leather jackets. Ooh. It's been a while since I've seen this one, but he's like he's like uh, he's like hanging out in bars. It's very um, he's probably like asking the pianist in the corner to to play Melota. All right, Adam, I I need to go over to gach.biz/game where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets, and. Uh, Currently, our runabout is on square 55. Uh, that is right in between a Quark's bar and a looking at each other during. And uh, we could hit that looking at each other during. I think that's all we can potentially hit right now. Yeah, that uh, that's the death sentence square right. at this point. <laughs> yeah, sure Stakes is. got really high with that square. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone. What do you say? Do it. Oh, my God. I rolled a one. <laughs> Olivarine! It's a looking at each other during. We're, we're looking at each other during today. I know. 
I guess we'll we'll have to do that again. I'm not coming over, Ben. No. I think that would be that. we have to set a good example. Yeah. We must maintain quarantine. We're quarantine influencers and we're gonna continue to set a good example. Two weeks after that episode drops is the last episode of Greatest Gen. <laughs> <laughs> RSVP Ben and Adam. Yeah. They didn't uh, they didn't they weren't getting any ventilators from their from their <laughs> listener supporters. We that's I mean, we treated the game of buttholes uh, lightly. We didn't yeah. know how much power it had. We should not do that. Anyways, it's like the Ark of the uh, Covenant we're messing with. How do we uh, how do we deal with the fact that we landed on a square that we can't we're like forbidden by law from from doing? Well, because we can't do that, uh, I have a proposition for you in the in the in the deep deep distance on our game board. Uh, there's a Kenar with Damar square, which I don't yeah, recall. We've never done that. I don't recall us ever doing that. So. How about we we do that in mm. honor of a great man, a great yeah. Cardassian man? Drink is the antidote. Much like the sonar computer on uh, on the American submarine in Red October, going home to geology uh, assessments, we will run home to Drunkisode on our next episode by doing our first ever Kanar with Damar. It, that's almost exactly what I was going to say, Ben. It's a perfect analogy. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll come up with recipes and everything, right? Great. Yeah, let's do it like that. Fun. So next week we will fuck up the show. One thing that fucks up the show in a great way is the <laughs> support of our many friends of DeSoto who, uh, after taking care of themselves and their friends and family, have seen if there's anything left over for your uh, friendly neighborhood podcasters, they'll go over to MaximumFun.org slash join to keep this show going. Yeah, we really, really appreciate the folks that do that. The uh, free ways that you can support are, of course, uh, recommending the program to a friend or loved one. Uh, you can uh, go on Apple Podcast or whatever podcast app you use and leave a nice rating and review. We also got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who made the original theme music for the show, of course, based on Dark Materia's Picard song, which used to be the theme music for the show. We got to thank Bill Tilly, who makes custom trading cards about every episode of the show. He posts those on Twitter using the hashtag GreatestGen. I'm on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is on Twitter at CutForTime. Twitter is like all I'm doing lately. <laughs> it's a problem. Like before, I'm doing way be less of it now. Before quarantine, it was like uh, I had quit smoking. And now after quarantine, I'm, I'm just chain smoking Twitter. It sucks. Wow. Um... I, uh, I set a limit on my phone. I'm not allowed to use it for, for more than a certain amount of time every day. How about that? That's why you're yeah. not returning my texts. <laughs> I can find you playing Jazz Horse if I want to get a hold of you that much. That's that's where I'm at. Me and, uh, me and Chuck Bryant riding horses around together. Yeah, that's a good posse right there. Yeah, that's fun. Oh, hey, uh... We also have a couple of other shows on Maximum Fun. Uh, we would love it if you would check out The Greatest Discovery and Friendly Fire. And, uh, you know, if you've, uh, if you've watched all of Deep Space Nine and you're looking for other stuff to do, well, uh, well you have a little bit of extra spare time uh, watching through all of Discovery or watching through some of the old war movies that we talk about on Friendly Fire is a great diversion because we can uh, be there with you to unpack them and joke around about them 
And I think uh, I think anybody that likes this show would like both of those two shows. Good wreck. Yeah. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine, that says, it's not that I hate you, criminal contact. <laughs> it's what you've made me wear. <laughs> Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.